Hello everyone, you are now listening to the Storm Connect podcast with Edo Ninja and Crunch. We talk about gaming topics and anime series of our own interests like Ruby, Kingdom Hearts Persona 5, Smash Ultimate, Hunter x Hunter, and so on forward. The goal that we aim to accomplish on every episode is to provide insights on these set so subjects that are usually overlooked to spread awareness and learn more. And now, in this episode. So we played a little bit of Remind, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Oh boy. Of what we have discussed yeah and to what we played on and we're gonna be covering everything story gameplay music all of that here in this podcast episode yeah basically everything you need to know we we got it yep so without any further ado if you have not completed the remind um dlc including the limit cut episode and uh the secret episode as well I suggest you tune into this podcast another time unless you don't mind for spoilers in any way whatsoever. Um, and uh, yeah, from this point on, we're just going to proceed forward. Especially for Xbox users, because um, if I remember correctly, Remind came out two days ago on Xbox. And assuming you're an only like sole Xbox user who's just starting to get into the DLC, uh, be wary. Mm-hmm. So... Now, with any, without any further ado, let us begin. Let's go. So now, the first thing that we're going to be talking about is the Remind story. And we're going to kind of go about this in order, basically, of how the game started to the finish. Of uh, the highlights and everything that or pretty much what was explained. Hmm. So now, we're going to be talking about the conversation with uh, Luxor. I'm not going to address him as Luxor. <laughs> And Zigbar, or should we shall label him now, Lushu. So, um, I'm glad in a way they did expand the cutscene to where Zigbar, you know, at one point he said in Kingdom Hearts 3, may your heart be your guiding key, the usual, uh, now famous line into the franchise, uh, the Star Wars ripoff line. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now... It was expanded with Luxord questioning him with the riddles and stuff like that and trying to see of what was the aim of getting to the black box. Now, um, I am, in a way, I like this cutscene and I dislike this cutscene. Um, and the reason for that is because that it's good that Luxord was suspicious of Zigbar. Like, well... I was told this, but I don't know if this actually aligns with the plan. So, in a way, uh, Luxor's character is still true in his consistency line of his personality. So, he started to do his wraparound questioning of, Oh yeah, so who actually gave this order? Xehanort or Xemnas? And of course, that was obviously not between the two that way. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, and... I thought, honestly, Zigbar was, the way how he performed in this scene was surprising to me because Zigbar has lived for so many centuries, I suppose you could say, and that man, he was a terrible liar. He, that was probably like the worst lying skills I've ever seen on somebody who's lived that long. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I just, um, 
it, I mean, it was, like, uh, again, it was so cool that, like, Luxor was just like, I know you're lying to me and you're, like, bullshitting me. So I'm gonna play along with this until, well, shit hits the fan. But I'm on, I'm on, I'm on to you. My eyes are watching you. Yeah, like, I wonder if he, because something that Luxor mentioned in the cutscene is how he went up and asked Xemnas, because he, supposedly he suspected Zigbar and Xemnas of being curious about the box, and I wonder if he actually did that, or if he used that to bait out an answer from Zigbar, because would Zigbar even go up to Xemnas like that and ask such a question? Like, I don't know, to me personally, it seems like that's so out of character. Probably because, you know, it's like what he mentioned before. He usually takes orders without any question to it and follows it through. And again, like, yes, like, it's good that, like, he was like, I just can't help but to be curious. But that's really weird, the fact that he did ask him. I do agree with you on that one. So, I, I like that type of skill to it, though, but... It just feel like, even after the whole, like, questioning with that, it just kind of, it just died off from there with that momentum. Like, yeah. it, it, it remains all the same. And I'm like, okay, if it remains all the same, then what is this? Right, because, like, I've always viewed Luxord as a person that, I mean, no pun intended, he always deals with the hand he's dealt with. Um, You know, meaning, like, to me, that's always been, like, there's no question about it. Sure, he's curious, but he never, like, puts that in front of anything else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I don't know. And Zigbar was just like, okay, but the real question is, who are you? And I'm yeah. like, I swear <laughs> to God, if I know there has been some certain hints and impressions that... Luxord is from Union Cross. And I'm like, oh my god, if he's supposed to be one of the lost masters or, or the master of masters, I'm done with the series. No. No. I'm tired of this. Yeah, that... That whole thing is interesting. So, I, I, I don't know. Uh, and there has actually been speculations that... Um, that we're going to talk a little bit more about this in this podcast, though. But I'm going to bring this up just a little bit. Is that Luxor probably has a tie with the world, basically with the world where Yazora comes from. Oh. So, yeah, which, that would be interesting. I think it'd be weird to introduce it that way. However, if that's really the case, I wonder, like, what is Luxor's actual, like, goal? Like, why is he here in the Kingdom Hearts line when he came from another entirely world that's, like, Final Fantasy-esque, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't... I'm not so sure, like, what direction they want to go off to that because there's still organization members that are still alive that they can, like, dive into the uh, this way. I just don't want to see any more recycled characters. Like, because, again, with Zigbar as Lushu, that's fine. If Luxor is a recycled character from Union Cross or, uh, or this upcoming game that's going to be coming out uh, next month, or actually when this podcast goes out this month, um, Kingdom Hearts Dark Road. With Xehanort's, um, story. <laughs> so, I'm, like, I, I don't know. I just hope he's not connected to, like, that whole, like, Union Cross thing. Because I actually really like the way Luxord was brought up in 2. And right. he's such a cool character. Like, yeah, 
I mean, like, just like all the other members, he's a pretty mysterious guy, but he is... I feel like his intentions aren't all that bad. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Especially, like, you know, he gave a fair card as a reward to Sora. Right, yeah, when you beat him. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just wonder, like, what is his actual purpose of being there? Because, like, it's just unanswered questions with that. And why did he agree to be one of the chosen as well? Right. So, I wish that there was, like, more explanations for that, though. But I'm assuming that's why he is still around for the new storyline that's going to open up with the next Kingdom Hearts title, either with Dark Road or Kingdom Hearts 4. So, um, oh, yeah, can we just talk about real quick? I, I don't know why, but, th- like, th- this was, like, the big thing that I was, like, noticing in the um cutscene can we just fucking talk about uh where the fuck did luxor get those fucking card skills like that his fucking flippity round my shit. man got some hands <laughs> I, I i don't know like I, that's how i know that man was an actual gambler before he turned into a nobody <laughs> yeah those are some gambling skills like the way he was moving those cards with his hands i'm like okay where you've been to vegas a couple times what's up with that <laughs> Honestly, I feel like he was meant to, like, pose off as the Joker of the organization. Yeah. So, I don't know. I I just wanted to talk about that real quick because I just, like, uh, I, like, I'm listening to what he's saying, but then, like, I just look at the way, like, he flips around those cards. I'm like, I kind of want to do that. I'm sorry, but I was just like, you need to teach me. No. (laughs) Yeah, I gotta be honest. Like, I actually had to look up the Luxord and Zigbar scene again because... The first time I was watching that, playing the game, I was way too focused on his, um, like, skill with the way he flips the card and stuff. It's just so interesting. Like, I don't know. I was just watching him do that, and it completely distracted me from the storyline. And I was like, bro, my man got the magic hands. <laughs> it was, I'm not gonna lie, it's so distracting, but in a good way, because I'm just like, okay, wait, 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 hold on, I gotta go back. What did you say? <laughs> Yeah, and then I was like, I'ma be honest, I just missed that entire cutscene, I gotta watch it again. I'm surprised Zigbar, of all people, did not, like, you know, he got distracted, because I'm just like, are you not gonna question how this man has these fucking skills? I'm sorry, but... (laughs) Yeah, you would think he would comment on that around towards, like, the end, like, he would have said something like, I like those card skills of yours. Like, I don't know, just something stupid. Oh my god. He even, like, even when he threw that card on him, it was, like, straight up, like, Chain of Memories-esque. I thought, like, there was going to be a fight between those two. Because, like, he threw that car. He was just like, okay, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought, too. I was like, okay, that's a little bit of a heated throw. <laughs> yeah, because, oh, my God. That man was not buying anything that Zigbar was buying. Like, I'm sorry, but how are you just going to say, uh, I actually don't remember. Like, I just, like, lose track of time and stuff. I'm like, that is, like, the worst excuse that you could tell anybody of where you heard that information. Yeah. I don't know. I just, every, like, because I, I replayed that, like, scene a couple times. And, like, I paid attention to his tone of voice. Because he was like, yeah, like, I totally heard this secret about, like, that's, like, this big secret that's, like, vital to all Keyblade wielders. And I'm just like, okay. So why are you guys, like, why aren't all of you Keyblade wielders? Like, why do you need it then? <laughs> yeah. So... I don't know, just looking at that, like, the best excuse that he could have just come up with on the spot, especially, like, right there on that spot, like, 
he just saw Maleficent and P. Like, oh yeah, I heard this from them. So that if they're looking for it, I think we should get on to what you know what they're after. Keep an eye on them. I think Luxor could have buy that at most, but no, Zigbar just nah. He choked at that moment. Yeah, he took an L there. So. With that cutscene, I'm gonna just say this, I liked it and disliked it at the same time, but yeah, bonus points because of the stupid, amazing card flip skills. I, I'm, I'm gonna try to learn that one day. I'm actually gonna make a video about that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just look. I, I can juggle too. <laughs> yeah, my man had the swag. <laughs> so, um, so I think that's all that we can really say about uh, that cutscene. Um, so the next one that we're gonna talk about, which... This is a lot of tea, but I'm gonna say this right now. This is anger tea, so some tea might be spilled here and there. Just a little, just a little bit. Let's talk about Master of Masters and Xehanort. This cutscene, dude. Oh I want to hear what you have to say first, and then I'll follow up, because I got a couple of things to say about it. Okay, so I'm gonna say this right now. The way how that cutscene played out, I'm not surprised in any way, shape, or form. I knew I was going to be left with some type of bullshit, like, why are we not getting the answer to this? Like, how are you just gonna blur this out or whatever and stuff like that and just play with me like that? That, I knew that they were gonna fucking do that. They really just expanded from whatever that we saw from the trailer. You could basically already guess what, like, if you, like, are heavily fallen into the Kingdom Hearts series, it's not much different. It, it You just only hear it from the perspective from Xehanort just a little bit, and that's it. Yeah. That's all, like, you really need to hear, um, like, from Xehanort's perspective. And, you know, um, the only thing I will say that's new to me that I thought was really interesting, was, like, the Master of Master was just like, wait a minute, a Keyblade Wheeler is siding with the darkness, and he was, like, questioning Xehanort a lot. He was just like, you sure you don't want to let it play out or whatever? Like, you know, just let them buy and such. And it's just, you know... I'm over here like, wait a minute, why are you making all these questions to it and such? Like, are you trying to set him up for something, or what? what is this? And the one thing I wish that they did is, how did they meet? Why did they meet? What was the intention for this cutscene, specifically? Mm-hmm. So, um... Xehanort, again, how he was introduced to the series, he was, uh... A scientist that was curious about how, what a Keyblade War would bring, and what is the secrets of Kingdom Hearts and such. Like that's what it, what it was all about. But you know, it's just when we see this in his younger years, he says, "I must be that necessary evil to maintain order." And and it's just like it's just so many vague answers. Like yeah, like. You know, I guess it's a lousy move that the false light... Like, who is the false light? Who are they? You know? But if that if it's false, why aren't the powers really showing that? I don't mm-hmm. know how... The, like, it, it's just too vague to me. Like, it just... It doesn't make any sense to me. At all. Um... So... A master of masters, you know, he... There was a lot of things that he said that was, like, really interesting. Like, you know, I, you know, again, really great character. Um, the one thing that really had me shook. I'm not gonna lie, like, every, he, he did this in the, uh, the back cover movie. But seeing that again, but except this time it was stronger. 
He yeah. went from like having this whole like cheerful, happy attitude into like something very sinister when he mentioned that like, oh yeah, I could be a scholar, I could be an artist, but I could be somebody that's planning for world's destruction. And it's yeah, like, that threw me off guard incredibly hard. I, I, and I'm just here like, what what are you doing? What are you planning? I don't understand you. Like, I, you've existed for so long. What are you doing? Because, like, that wasn't even necessarily out of character for him. That was just a side we've never seen before because, um, I mean, for those that have played Union Cross and and or have watched the movie that's come with, like, 2.8, he's a very goofy character. I don't, actually, not even goofy. He's just a very, like, laid-back, nonchalant character with a lot of plans. And to see him... To see that cutscene end like that was really weird. And that was definitely eye-opening for me because I was very confused at first about whether he was a good guy or a bad guy or just kind of like a neutral character that was just watching the world burn and not doing anything about it. And then he mentioned that and that just threw me off completely hard. And that's one thing that like I don't know like because he's it looks like to me he's letting people do his dirty work in a sense like all he does is like question people put this in the like you know this type of like thoughts in their minds and then after that he just dims and fades and then he just doesn't show up for god knows how long yeah so um another thing that i thought was really interesting in that cutscene was uh at the end of it like after like they purposely blurred out his name when he revealed it to xehanort um he says that I'm a lost master. Mm. I don't understand what that means because there's been this whole talk for so many years about the lost masters. And it's like, who are the lost masters? Who are they being, like, what is that actually being referred to? And at, at first, we thought that was a reference to Birth by Sleep. But then Union Cross was introduced and it's like, oh, so it must be the foretellers. But wait a minute, Master of Master says that he's a lost master. And it's like, where did you come from then? And what are, why are you doing the, why are you doing the things that you're doing right now? Yeah. And I suppose, again, that's supposed to be the setup storyline for Kingdom Hearts 4. And it's like, that man must, again, I would not take that man lightly. He's a, I think he's a much bigger threat than Xehanort would ever be. What I took from that quote was, I think there's something bigger than Master of Masters because... For such a character with a lot of buildup, we've always, and maybe it's just me, I feel like it's everybody too, we've always seen Masters Masters as like the, the man behind the scheme. Like he is the main person that has like surpassed even someone like Xehanort. But then he mentions himself as like a lost master and it's like that, just the phrase lost master makes me think that there are other people out there that are stronger than him that we just haven't been introduced to you're probably right on that and i hope that like they explore a little bit more about that um because again like master of masters back in back cover he randomly introduced curities and they're dream eaters from you know from the realm of sleep and it's like how did you bring them out into the real world that way? The realm of light. Because you have the realm of light. You have the realm of darkness. Which I guess it's the equivalent of hell. And then you have um, the realm of sleep. 
So, I'm just here confused. And I'm like, did he create that? Or, because there's so many unanswered questions. And it's like, I didn't really learn anything much about that cutscene. Except to, I, I only got reminded that Master of Masters is a threat. And I, am, I would actually genuinely be scared with him if I was right next to Xehanort. <laughs> Yeah, one thing I did take from that cutscene, however, was the talk about um, when Xehanort was talk was kind of opening up about his experiences and his travels, and he was saying how he felt like he was meant to wear that coat. Young Xehanort, or not young Xehanort, I apologize, Master of Masters just kind of came in and was like, no, you'll ditch it soon. And this is a direct quote from there, but he says, I mean that one day you're going to outgrow it. If you truly possess great power, the darkness can't control you. You won't need a silly coat to stay safe. In fact, you'll be the one controlling the darkness instead. Me, on the other hand, I'm too much of a scaredy cat to ever take off mine. Which, there's like two things to this um, quote that pique my interest. Is one... I've never seen Master of Masters see so much potential in a character before until that moment when he was saying that even someone like young Xehanort can go beyond just trying to control darkness. Like, he is like his own being. He is so powerful enough that he can essentially take over the darkness is what I'm getting at. And then the other thing that's weird is you would think someone like Master of Masters who has such a mega mind like he does could do the same thing but no he mentions that he keeps his coat on for possibly the reason that he's not as powerful or is this just part of his like mysterious enigma self right and uh that's the thing that i was i was really thrown off by that though but that's a good note that you mentioned that uh because Zan or like it's like as you mentioned he he was never like that with the other foretellers in any way shape or form he's like oh yeah here's this book this is what your role is don't worry things are gonna be all right who knows maybe i won't fade away and then he'll throw a couple jokes and then he'll have his serious moments for like maybe like one or two cutscenes. but he'll just be like yeah okay good luck but he took interest with Zan or that way and you know which that's why like i was really interested that he made these questions are you sure you don't want to let this play out and such like all right all right like you know like i've never heard of a keyblade wielder siding with the darkness and such but in the back cover he was like yeah no like i don't think like darkness is a good thing and stuff like that because well it, it'll it, it's gonna like it's gonna disrupt the balance of some things so, he gave the foretellers under the impression that, like, yeah, it's already fell the darkness and stuff like that, there's gonna be chaos. So, yeah, be careful, and, uh, yeah, hopefully there's no traitor. And in this, he's not saying Xehanort is the bad guy for doing such a thing that way. And again, he's just letting it play out. He's not disrupting anything from that. He's just questioning some things, putting in some thoughts, and then just letting it play out and such. And it's like, but what do you gain out of that? Why are you putting in so much time and effort to create this setup with the four tellers that we still don't even know to this day of who that traitor was? And, you know, again, with the new developments at Union Cross as well, uh, the new part, not Unchained Key, the previous title of that. And then Xehanort with the questionings and stuff like that. What? Hopefully we find out more of the motives, but... 
um, there's a lot of scary thought as to how much control Master of Masters really has, and as to why I feel, because again, I feel like he somehow made this happen in a way, but Xehanort was the next one to get that Keyblade that Master of Master owns. Yeah. Even though that was actually Lucio's job to bequeath it to Keyblade Wielder to Keyblade Wielder, it's just Master of Masters, he showed up later, but he said that he'd come back. Well, I don't know if he would actually ever come back, but he did anyways. But this was like before Birth by Sleep happened, Kingdom Hearts 1 happened and stuff like that, because we see the time skip to 75 years later, which we're going to transition transition to that momentarily. Uh, he only shows up with that, and most likely we're going to see him again in Dark Road through other cutscenes and such and about how they met and as to why uh, this path was taken in a way yeah so um other than that again this was more of learning experience with master of masters rather than xehanort so uh i don't have much else to say about it i'm sure you don't do you um i like i just think the whole um name thing like you know when we thought his name was going to be revealed there that was kind of an interesting interaction because young Xehanort's eyes lit up a little bit when he did reveal his name, but obviously we don't know what it was because just apparently it needs to be blanked out. I don't know why, but whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought that interaction was kind of interesting and the reaction that young Xehanort had was um, pretty enticing. I, I, I wonder what he said and I feel like it might be revealed in the next game, I, I'm praying to God it is because I don't know how much longer I can take of like not knowing. You know what I mean? Honestly, at this point, like I'm, I'm actually like really in it just for the Master of Masters and not anything else because everything else is like a hot mess. Yeah, I just want to know the name, and if it's, I swear to God, if it's Demix, I will just stop playing this video game. Oh no, recycled characters, please! I just want him to be a unique character because. Actually, wait, doesn't that lead into... Oh, no, wait, that point comes a little later. We'll talk about Demix later, but um, I guess for now we can sort of talk about, like, the rest of the organization? Yes, because uh, they transitioned to that to 75 years later, and then we see Zekbar, um, Xanor, and Syx for this cutscene, and, and it, it looks like to where this fits in, it must be after what happened in the the events of Dream Drop Distance. So it looks like they met up there to that day. Now, um, okay, so before we talk about that cutscene, um, that voice actor for Xehanort. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I am not going to lie. He sounds so weird. And I think it's because of the many times that Xehanort has changed. For voice acting, and honestly, like this sounds so bad to say, but I think anybody who has that role of Xehanort is just bound to be cursed in one way or another. And it's a bad way to say it that way, though. But it's like I don't know. There's just something about it that I just get like the really, really interesting, strong impression of anybody casting that role, regardless if it's English or JP. So. Um, I don't know, for this, like, I don't know what Square Enix wants to take the direction with Xehanort in terms of the voice acting, because they went from him, like, you know, he sounded like an old man, but he didn't sound too old, 
and unfortunately, he passed away. Then the yeah. other voice actor uh, that casted in Kingdom Hearts 3, he sounded pretty young for an old man. Like, he didn't sound like he was 80 years old because apparently that's how old Xehanort is. He's 80 years old, but he did not sound that way. He sounded like he was, like, in his 40s or 50s in a You're way. You're talking um, about base game Xehanort? Yeah, okay. base game Kingdom Hearts 3 Xehanort. That's he sounded a bit young, and they he apparently like there was some type of like weird accent that they gave him. I don't know if that's just the uh, voice actor in general, but it, it just kind of felt weird that like he kind of had it that way though. But it's still a good performance nonetheless. This voice actor, however, sounds really like old, old. Like that man is like probably gonna pass away the next day or whatever. And I'm talking about Zaynor when I say that, not the voice actor. Um, right. So, when I saw that, it's just, like, I think there's, like, a weird conception of, like, the balance between the ages of what Zayn are supposed to, like, really sound like. Um, Because, again, the original voice actor, he hit it. The second one, too young. This one, too old. And plus, the voice actor kind of sounded confused time to time as well. Not just in that cutscene, but also with um, fighting as well. And... Uh, redoing the lines in Remind as well and I think they actually redid his the entire game and recasted him and like did everything else for the Keyblade Graveyard and when he shows up again so I thought I wanted to mention that real quick but with that being said we can actually go into the cutscene yeah so um the organization members um when they were trying to find their 13th vessel um, I'm not gonna lie, it did not make any sense to me. Yeah, I, I'm like, still lost. <laughs> like, I, I get it, but I don't get it. That's how I feel about it right now. That like, cutscene, to me, felt like they were just trying to, like, explain things that were confusing. Not only in the base game of Kingdom Hearts 3, but, like, other past details that no one really understood. And it just added more questions rather than clearing it up for me personally. Especially when they were talking about, like, what everyone's involvement in the process was and whatnot. I was so confused, and I still am today. Like, I can't even explain this part at all. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, you know, uh, after that they were recompleted, Xehanort and Saix, they were turned they, they turned back into nobodies. They, and that's how they did it for the reorganization. Um, for the new one. Yeah. And that same process happened for five other organization members, which it was Marluxia, Larxene, Luxor, and um, Demix. So that happened to those characters. But there were a few other characters that were, like, missing. So, and this is what was weird to me when Saik said this. The hearts of Ansem, Xemnas, Vanitas... And Riku replica. I'm like, but how did they have a heart? Because, yeah. like, you know, Xemnas is not his own heart. That is part of the heart of Xehanort. And uh, Ansem has, you know, again, that one is the one that is a heartless, but it contains the heart of Xehanort. So, Vanitas, that makes sense. And because they were returned back to their own respective times, they were... Uh, apparently they were transferred into replicas that makes them well 
how they were are in the beginning, which I guess it defies time travel in a way. And I I don't understand that. I I don't understand the time like the time travel explanation was confusing, and now the whole replica situation made it even more confusing. Cause I'm like, wait a minute, if they transfer from that. Doesn't that defy the laws, and doesn't that alter the events of what happened back in the past? Because I time thought there would be, like, a timeline switch-up. <laughs> yeah. So... Ah! I was just gonna say, like, dude, time travel is so hard to explain in any form of media because it's such a... It's such a weird concept. It's, like, very fictional, but, like, also there's logical explanations for it. And then you try to put that in Kingdom Hearts, which is already a confusing story, like, it's gonna be messy. Yeah, and, you know, again, the whole replica situation, again, I think that was just a way to use as fan service because Vexen was good at being a scientist, and, well, guess what? (laughs) Most of these organizations came back somehow because time travel, transfer, and then, well, whatever happened in the fucking past, that didn't fucking matter. And I I, I don't understand how that works. Now, um, speaking of transferring hearts, now... Remember, I mentioned this earlier before. Like, Xemnas, he's not supposed to have a heart because he's the nobody of Xehanort, or should I say, slash Terranort. Yeah. With all these hearts. You know, Xehanort says that, okay, well, the reason why we're here today is because of A, B, and C. I transferred, I split my heart into many other vessels. And at first, I thought he was talking about with the 13 organization members. I thought that was the case for that. So I'm like, okay, but... It just doesn't seem to be that way, um, because he's because he's done that with semblances and stuff like that, and because that his heart is not lost, he was restored into the way that he was, you know, before he transferred to Terranor. But that doesn't make any sense to me, and I say that is because that wait a minute, if your heart came back to your original form after for your two beings destroyed, you should be recompleted as Terranor, not as Xehanort. That doesn't make any sense to me because you are the one that has the control of his body. And because that Terranort's heart is still lost, Terranort was reborn. I... How did... I... I, I don't <sighs> know what that means. I, I'm... I honestly, like, right now, as I'm talking about this, my head is hurting. I... Dude, I can't even explain anything at this part of the story because it hurts my head and it's super confusing. <laughs> it, it's so confusing because I'm just like, wait a minute... Because it's like, that that doesn't make any sense. It's like, then who is talking? Who is... How is Xehanort talking through Terranor? I... Ugh. So... And apparently, again, the theory of Terra being the Guardian, that turned out to be true. But if your heart isn't lost... And wait a minute. If you destroy Xemnas and Ansem to the recompleted form... Again, let's say this. Let's go by this logic real quick. Okay? You destroy the two beings. What's supposed to be recompleted as to what created the Heartless and the Nobody would be Terranor, right? But, if you're saying that your heart was not lost, but Terra's is, shouldn't it still be the bigger reason as to how you come back to that original form instead? And, you know, and even if that's, if that's not the case, if you return to Xehanort, then that means Terra should come back as Terra, not Terranor. Right. So it's like, because that gives a way for his heart to weave out away from Xehanort's, you know, presence because getting his ass kicked by Sora multiple times, you would expect Terra to come back. 
And we thought maybe the hint of Lingering Will could be that way, but it wasn't. So, again, this just doesn't make sense to me. Um, now, I... That makes 12 members. Because Terranor is like, you know, member 11 or 12, whatever. So you have that. And then now Syx discusses regarding the members of the backups. And then the 13th member. As I like to call it, number I. Even though <laughs> I is a fucking letter, not a fucking number. But anyways. So let's talk about the backups. Vexen, Demix are was, candidates at best. Yeah, that was it's, weird. It was really strange to me. Um, like, huh? like, why are they considered backups? It's just so... Because, like, in 2, they were, like, the main members of the original organization, but now they're just throwing them away? Like, what value do they hold now? Like, okay, I, I understand Vexen being a backup because he was, like... Again, he was a resource for the organization to create the replicas. So, I understand that, though. Yeah. Um, but as for Demix, I didn't understand anymore. I don't know why he was a backup. They just, like, threw that character away. <laughs> and it's just, like... I, I, I get it because of his incompetence in, in the previous organization. So, that's why Sykes was just like, Okay, yeah, no, they're, they're candidates, but they're, I don't think they should be, like, backups. Because, well, A, B, and C... I don't think you need to elaborate on that, though. But this is what made it contradictory to me. Demix, there's a, he's another remnant of a hint that he has a Keyblade legacy within him. It slumbers within him. So if he's from Union Cross in any way, shape, or form, shouldn't he be in the fucking Chosen? I just... Mm. Makes no sense. I don't understand that. I'm just like, why is he being shafted to, to be benched? Like, I don't... Like, what are the qualifications for an organization member to be part of the Chosen 13? I don't know that. They never elaborate in that. And this is where it gets convoluted for me because they explain that their Ken is at best. And, you know, again, Demix holds a Keyblade legacy within him. But then, like, they said that, oh, number I, a.k.a. Shion... She's a better candidate because she has Sora's memories and it has a a good connection to that. And it's like, but what impact does it hold if Zeno only cares about the clash between the thirteen light or thirteen darknesses and seven lights? What? Yeah, I just I when I was going back through the cutscenes, I just gave up on that. Like I I couldn't understand it. Every time I watched it, it just made no sense to me. Just add more questions. It, it just, it's like, okay, well, you basically just made this pointless for the whole candidates thing. And honestly, like, you know, again, Xehanort explained that he split his heart into 13 vessels and such, though. But I'm questioning if he actually did that. Sure that other characters had yellow eyes, but so did Aqua. And she wasn't part of the Chosen. She wasn't even part of the organization. She was not even part of the plan. <laughs> yeah. So... And that only gives me to my theory that, again, because, you know, I, I've noticed that all Heartless, shapes, forms, and Heartless have yellow eyes. And that is the form of darkness. And we were under the impression for a while when Xehanort had yellow eyes, that's a form of, as we like to call this for so long, we never, we don't, sh we don't say this anymore because of Kingdom Hearts 3, we call this 
someone converting to a Nord. Someone got Norded. But as we saw that go on, Xehanort revealed that his eyes were never yellow before. He actually had silver eyes. So I wonder if the, like, you know, of having a hint of Xehanort because they never really explained that. Like, we thought it was clear on that in Dream Drop Distance when we saw the cutscene with Zigbar and Zemnes explaining to Sora, oh yeah, I'm already have Xehanort zoomed into the eye. So yellow eyes indicate that he has part of Xehanort within him, and that was supposed to be the case for the other organization members. But they were not acting on the orders of Xehanort. They still had their own respective personalities. They were not, I don't know. It's just like, they just kind of went with it though. But you have Marluxia and Larxene planning to do another coup. In the organization for this one. So I I, I don't get it. It's just, it, like I said, contradictory bullshit. Yeah. So that's all I have to say about the organization members. What about you? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, like, like I said before, that cutscene was incredibly confusing. And I kind of just gave up trying to understand it on, like, the third or fourth watch. And I just... It added way too many questions that just overwhelmed me. And honestly, uh, that's an, uh, actually you saying that. I actually just remember this just on the top of my head. I don't know if you guys recall this, though, but there was a specific cutscene of Riku and Mickey talking about the members and like how the fucking splitting of Terranort happened. That just defied that now. That, there was no point to show that cutscene anymore. They should just delete it at this point. <laughs> there were like a lot of filler cutscenes, but there were also like... Like, okay, basically, so far, this was, like, the summary of Remind for me. I'll say it again at the end, but I'm saying it here, too, as a reminder, eventually. But a lot of this DLC's cutscenes and stories were either things that needed to be at the beginning of the base game or just pointless. And it sucks because I said this in the last podcast that we talked about Remind. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to save it for right now, though. But all I'm going to say is that if you guys have been following up with it, I'm going to say this right now. My statement has been fulfilled. It's been with, with fulfilled with promise. And I called it out. So, but if you don't recall that, I'll save that to the end. So, let's move on. Yeah. Now, let's talk about this whole thing with the power of waking. And we're going to kind of just go around this with the Keyblade Graveyard. So, um, Sora, right? You know, we see that he meets up with the Chirithi. And, you know, again, like, he basically did a taboo. And all his goal is is to get Kyrie back, right? Yeah. And in this way, we he basically gets to relive, like, here's the law. Whatever happened at the Keyblade Graveyard, you can't change it. You cannot change the events of what happened. You can still go back in the time for it, but the result is going to be absolutely the same. So you could do whatever you can do, but just know that whatever happened, it's not going to change jack shit. So I'm just here like, so wait a minute. If that's true, then what can Sora really do? And that was the question that I really had, because I'm like, wait a minute, that, that means you just can't t- change the timeline. So, and then I understand this. By going through the Keyblade Graveyard, it's a way to get reconnected with the Seven Lights and whatever else that he has to go through, Scala at Kylum, to reclaim Kyrie's heart. So I understand that much. But, because of that re-exploration with these 
with the Keyblade Graveyard, with the war, if I even want to call it a war, I just want to call it a playground fight at this point. <laughs> um, the first thing that we see when he revisits that is what Aqua was going through with that moment. What was the point of that? What was the <sighs> point of seeing a girl? Like, I didn't need an explanation as to why she did the way she shit. I just want to know, like, why was why did it happen to begin with? I can already tell that she already had her PTSD from the realm of darkness, and that's how she saw herself because of what happened to her. But it's like, you 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 made the speech, and guess what? For some reason, we fought dark dark anti Aqua again. Why? <laughs> It didn't make any sense. I don't even know what to say about all that aqua bullshit. Like, just... Again, it was another cutscene I was trying to watch multiple times, and I was just trying to find a reason to think that it needed to be in the DLC. Yeah, like, all I heard was like, oh yeah, this is the pain and, you know, heartache aqua felt during that moment. So, what was accomplished there? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. nothing. And I, I'm going to say this right now, too. Like, there are fights that were there that didn't even need to be there because we were already playing in the base game. There was not any different changes to the gameplay of these bosses. I don't know why we did it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I just couldn't. Um, so we have that. Uh, there's I, I I don't even have anything else to say about that girl, so I, I'm I'm just lost. Yeah, she um, gone. She she definitely is gone. Um. So let's go with the Keyblade Graveyard a little bit. Um. You want to open this one up? <laughs> is this where we talk about Demix? Yes. Yeah, this was when they were. This is like. Where was this part again? It was like after the um It was after like, Data Riku fight bullshit. or not Data Riku. No, um, Zigbar and uh, yeah, no no, Zigbar and Riku. Oh, Replica Riku. That's his yeah. name. Yeah, so Replica Riku and Zigbar. He just came out of nowhere. So like this is the part where this is like kind of after he realizes that they were going to use this um new vessel for like Nomine or supposedly they were saying and in the base game they like cut it so that it went immediately to gameplay, which is how majority of the game was. It was very short. Um, but in this, the Demix just comes out of nowhere, like kind of I unfortunately proving. Um, I believe it was it was Syx that said this back in the organization meeting. You know, there's backups Vexen and Demix, and Demix just kind of proved his point with his presence like he was so pointless what was the point of that cutscene yeah and you know again like we already knew that he was supposed to help out the lights secretly which i'm surprised he didn't get caught by the way <laughs> and apparently he has a, a a gummy phone for no reason yeah like <laughs> fucking Enzo and bullshit i i don't know like just seeing that like i thought we were gonna like see more exploration like something that actually would be like okay this is actually pretty crucial no it's just fan service and a weird interaction between riku and Demix. that was just so strange yeah and like i wanted an explanation as to like what he's been up to and maybe get some possible clues about his involvement in this game nothing there was nothing he's just no. pointless yeah he was just there pointless and again like 
Th this could have been something added in the base game, but instead of just taking up the content for Remind. I, I don't know what the hell is up with that. He uh, literally said in the game, too, like, I'm just killing time. I was like, oh my god, this character is pointless. And self-aware. I'll give him that. At least <laughs> he's, he's aware. <laughs> At least he's aware. At least Demix has somewhat of a brain to understand that he's useless <laughs> in that time. I mean, he just said himself that he was like, oh, yeah, like, I could be all those things when I want to be, which is almost never, but I guess he's just not that stupid, which I guess Arxene really underestimated him at that point. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, um, that's all we, I, I think that's all I really have to say about Dimmicks, because fuck Dimmicks. <laughs> yeah, I, it's kind of funny, because, like, we sort of have a list of what we want to talk about, and, like, as... The listeners can probably tell we're almost like about an hour in, and we talked mostly about uh, Master of Masters, Luxord, but you know, like the whole thing with like the organization, Aqua Demix, their filler cutscenes. Like, there's not a lot you can really talk about that because either one, it was useless to include, or two, it was too confusing and added more questions. Like, that's basically been the summarization of this DLC story wise so far. Yes, however. There are a couple of things that we can talk about. Because, again, all we've been saying that, like, with these cutscenes that we brought up, because, again, we're going in this in order of how the gameplay went, or the game went out in chronological order. But what we're going to talk about next is something that I think it was actually important, but also, even though it was a disappointment, I will say that I think it's actually, like, something really good that this was added into it, though, even though our, our thoughts are, why now? So... As we progress to the Keyblade Graveyard, once again, we see the greeting between Venetus, Terranor, Aqua, and Ventus. Ooh, Ventus. I've been waiting for this part, actually, because I wanted to talk so much about this part. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm, I'm just flat out just straight, like, you know, get straight to the point, okay? The only ones that were important to me in that cutscene were Ventus and Venetus. And maybe Terranor for, like, one line. But Aqua was... Nah. I, I, I'm sorry, but I don't care about Aqua right now. I care about those two boys and a little bit of Terranor for that scene, okay? So, let's talk about Vanitas real quick. <laughs> um, yeah. Vanitas, I'm just... Oh, my God. There was no good characterization of him in 3. You know, there was this whole thing about Pim being complete and such. And after that, he just kind of died off with nothing. However, like, we get to see more of that emotion again. Like, what are his motives? Or, like, what is he feeling at that moment? Like, we get more of that conveyance in this cutscene. Like, he actually was genuinely offended. He was like, um, hey, I'm right here, by the way. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, he, he actually was offended. And um, what I found really interesting uh, was that with the exchange of the whole thing about them being brothers, but they're actually the same, Vanitas was just like, um, newsflash real quick, buddy. We're actually not the same. I just happen to be somebody that was sleeping within you. And I'm just here like, wait a minute. If they're actually like not... Because again, like Ventus... He can still function without Vanitas. Because everybody, they have their own lights and darknesses. And supposedly, 
I had this theory many years ago on my YouTube channel regarding Ventus. If he is a light, shouldn't he, he, he could be considered, like, I know, like, again, like, in a way, this there, there are laws about this, though. But again, at this point, like, Ventus could break a rule and he could be considered one of the fucking seven hearts of light. In a way. Because he's full of, like, he doesn't have any darkness because it was extracted out of him. But... If we're going by this logic of what we learned here, Vanitas is not Ventus in any way, shape, or form at all. He just happens to be there. And it's like, if that's true, how did he get in there? And how long has he been there? Yeah. Like, they mentioned that um, Xehanort just ripped it out of Ventus. So it's like, you can't help but wonder how long has he really been there? And how were they able to create the Keyblade at one point? That's something I found yeah. really interesting as well. Because, um, because again, like, you know, um, with the rules that Xehanort has uh, explained into uh, one of his secret reports, I, I'm so glad I looked at the secret reports before I did this recording, but you need 50% light and 50% darkness. And Ventus and Vanitas accomplished that because they were considered to be the same person in a way however that's not the case so i don't know if there was some type of weird hard development for vanitas i think question mark but you know again xanar found his own ways of creating the keyblade but if they created the keyblade before i said this again with one of my kmr videos back when i was still doing youtube but wouldn't that still be a threat to Ventus and Vanitas clashing because the Keyblade War, it, it still would have been inevitable, right? However, that means there are two ways to create the Keyblade. That means those two would have to be whole or the Clash of the 13. You know, at that point, there's two ways to do it. Yeah. But they randomly discarded the idea that Ventus and Vanitas can create, they can forge the Keyblade. They randomly discarded that, which I don't know how they did that because. Again, they need to clash and be whole. And now they bring this interesting part up. Well, yeah, newsflash. I'm not actually you, but we're brothers in a way. And um, I'm also going to bring this up too as well. Um, right now in Union Cross, there is supposedly one of the masters. The masters that are new in Union Cross. One of them is supposedly not supposed to be a master. That person was not supposed to be there to begin with. And Ventus happens to be that one person. He was not supposed to be a master to begin with in any way, shape, or form at all. So that means he is sus suspected to possibly have killed Strelitzia. But, again, if we take this logic of what we learned about here, then most likely Vanitas might have been the, been the one to kill him off. Kill her off. Mm -hmm. And that's a scary thought to think about. Um, but I'm glad that they brought up this momentum, and I honestly, I'm gonna say this right now, even with my disappointment with Vanitas in Kingdom Hearts 3, I would not mind if he comes back. I think he should come back, actually. I think they redeemed him a little bit in the DLC, because I really did like that, um, you know, we always, like, he always calls Ventus his brother, but Ventus always just kind of, like, declines, or rather rejects that thought because he merely sees him as like a darkness version of himself mm -hmm. and 
I don't know. I just like that dynamic that was going on in that cutscene. Like, there, it just, it kind of reminded me of, like, two brothers arguing. Yeah. And, like, the last thing that was interesting to me was when they were talking about, like, like, Vanitas, what do you want to be? Like, what are you? And then, yeah. like, Ventus said, um, as a response, like, what are you, darkness? But it wasn't even, like, sarcastically, but rather, like, in a mocking way, because he tries to make it sound like a stupid answer, but then, like, within his, I guess we could say, like, last dying breath, Vanitas says, I am the darkness. And I was like, huh. So that's what, like, does he truly want to be that? Because I feel like he does, because he smirked before he vanished. Yeah. And that's, that's just strange to me that there's, because, like, all the members have, like, confessed some sort of truth of theirs. Like, it happened with young Xehanort, Xemnas, Ansem, Larxene, Luxor, you know. It's happened with all of them. And for him to confess that he didn't mind being in the darkness is strange. It is really strange, especially as to, like, because, again, regardless if you're darkness or you're light, all, every single character in that game and anywhere else that applies to you know real life to everywhere regardless Benitez has certain desires and in this remind dlc it was super apparent so yeah and especially with birth by sleep so at this point like in a way i do agree with you in a way they kind of redeemed him in a way and honest to god i would not mind if they brought him back because i feel like he has more to achieve more to learn and more to fulfill as a character so i think they should go for that i would not i think that's like probably like one of the very very few characters i would not mind if they brought it back so. yeah and like you know um i've you know uh, edo and i always talk about um kingdom hearts every now and then when we're in a call but i've always expressed my interest more in day or um uh, the three, fifty-eight over two. That's the number, right? Oh yeah, yeah. The, the, the days okay. trio. Okay, yeah, days. That's what it, <laughs> I should have just said. Days instead of over here, like uh, three fifty-eight over two <laughs> three days. Three fifty-eight like, over two days in a year. <laughs> like I just turn into a psychotic, eyes rolled up into my back of my head, trying to remember oh this number. Oh my god, you are! <laughs> Stop it! Like I'm just sitting here, like three over fifty-eight over. Like you know what I mean? But. Days is the name. I've always expressed that I've liked Days a lot because Roxas is one of my favorite characters in the franchise because I feel like they've never done him wrong. And also on top of that, I mean, who who doesn't like Axel? I mean, come on. But like, okay, Axel, uh, uh, he is he again to me. He is a fan service character, but I'm gonna make this exception because he's just, he's just that good. Like, and especially in this game, they just kind of made him likable. But like. The thing about the Bird by Sleep trio is, um, I've always loved Vanitas. Like, yeah, I liked Aqua too. I think a lot of people liked, like, Aqua the most, but I just love the way Vanitas came off as a character. It, Same. He was, like, probably the most accepting of his identity compared to any other organization member, or antagonist for that matter. Mm-hmm. And I always cherish that about him. Uh, yeah, and I think, I think he deserves more, so... If he comes back, please. Like, because, again, like, even though, like... Because, again, like, as long as that Ventus exists with the light, apparently Vanitas is still... He he would just come back. 
Yeah. But with what we learn and such, again, it's it's possible. It is possible, and I I'm be- I'm betting. I am hoping that we see him again. Hopefully not in the shape or form of Union Cross, but God, it's, it's it's probably inevitable at this point, unfortunately. However, yeah. you know, again, I I think that like Vanitas, like in the birth I see world, I think he he would actually make it work, and you know, maybe we'd be able to learn more about his desires and stuff like that. Because I think we got enough of that. But if we dive into more things about him and like what is his ultimate goal is. Even though if he said that, like, he's just purely just darkness, I feel like there's something that he actually wants besides that. And again, if they drop that remnant of that, I think it should be brought back. Um, and speaking of which, um, Ventus, for this cutscene, uh, he, um, he, he was not annoying. Even though I, I, well, actually, here, hold on, hold on. Before I get a little bit about Deventus, I just want to, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to play this real quick. Make me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, with their stupid brother exchange of, go back to where you came from, I just. <laughs> like, that just adds to my point about why I loved that dynamic so much. Like, <laughs> It's such a brotherly discussion. Like, the the make me sold it for me. I think I laughed the hardest at that more than anything else in this game. Mom said it's my turn to use the keyblade. Hmm. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the type of energy that that just exudes. Like, even though, like, it was fucking funny as shit, though, I just feel like, like, canically-wise, like, it actually added more depth into it. Of to Vanitas and Ventus's like exchange and their own characters as well, uh, yeah. more so with Vanitas' advantage rather than Ventus. But um, you know, Ventus he again like he's calling out to Terra, which I thought like, at one point like I even I said this earlier like he was not annoying. Only in this part he was like you know he was like yeah Terra Terra I'm like oh my god we're having birth by sleep flashbacks but anywho. I, I try to dismiss that, though, but I guess, like, you know, he's trying to light his way back home, which I was like, okay, all right, cute, that's nice, um, and, of course, like, I, there's this one thing that I thought was really interesting that Tara North said, which, again, that's why I say that I take a little bit of interest of him rather than Aqua, he's like, oh, look at you, you are wielding a Keyblade. You as a Keyblade Master, you are wielding that Keyblade with anger. That is shameful. You should be disgraced with yourself. I was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. So what is an actual, like, title of a Keyblade Master? Because you are, I mean, technically you're a Keyblade Master as well, though. But if she's not supposed to use that with emotion, what are the qualifications as a Keyblade Master? What, what? What do you see that she is disrupting the balance and order of using that Keyblade with rage and emotions that way? Yeah. I hope we learn a little bit more about that later, though. But I just thought, like, at that point, I will say that that's something that's, like, I think that was interesting. Since Terranor is a part of Xehanor, in a way, this is Xehanor talking. So I think that's something that I thought it was really interesting. That I will give Xehanort a point for that one instead of just being a curious scientist to I'm going to be the necessary evil for order. But even though that that part has been consistent this time, that part I was like, oh, okay, whoa. 
I don't want to fuck with that guy. No. So, other than that, that's all I have my comments for Terranor though. But I just thought that point was just very interesting to me that way. And something to really think about to question later. So, yeah. um, now I, I, I know, uh, I'm going to like crunch, um, open this up because I think he likes it more than I do. I love this part so much already, but, uh, he already mentioned this earlier though, but we're going to talk, we're going to talk a lot more about the day's trio now. Ah, uh, they did this scene so much justice. And not only did they give the trio a very nice spotlight to shine, but, um, they also kind of, like, made Kyrie useful. Like, why was this... I'm going to say it again because I said it at the beginning. I told you I'm going to say it at the end. And I'm going to say it right here, too. Why was this not in the base game? Bro, Kyrie looked incredible during that cutscene. Like, I know mm -hmm. I'm not talking about days right now. But, like, but that high, the biggest highlight for me besides seeing the days trio together again. You know, fighting alongside each other. Kind of like how I imagined it would be. Also, just seeing Kyrie putting in work. Oh my god, she, she actually tried. She tried Zenness. I was like, oh, okay, wait. Whoa. She went from like in a in a weakling way, swinging the Keyblade to like scoring up with Zenness. That is such a power move. I I, I wish that would have been part of it. Um, now, okay, here's the thing. I'm gonna. Like, I I discredit Nomura for a lot of things for Kingdom Hearts 3, but I will say that, I will say this is like, I think it's safe to say that this is one of my top three, and yes, I say top three, not top five, top three. My top three most favorite moments of Kingdom Hearts 3 overall. The Days Trio, because, um, let's talk about this, okay? So... I was hoping that Lee would be able to use his own power somehow to bring back Roxas and Shion in a way. Yeah. Even though that didn't happen, the reason why I'm content with this, and I and like at this mo moment, I'd say it for me, it's a genius way because it actually makes sense. Um, and I didn't even think about this either too, though. But I, I would, I accepted this with open arms. Was that um, after Roxas was revived and it was just those three fighting together, right? Um, Roxas was just like, there's something I need to claim back. Our connection, our bond and such. And Sora helped me out with that though, but I need to get that piece back. And I'm like, what are you? I don't understand. What are you guys trying to get back? And when I saw the sigil, I was like, oh my god. That would make sense of how their connections is real. I was like, because that's how, that's how they were named as after they turned into nobodies. I love that part so much. It's so good. It, like, mm -hmm. there wasn't anything, like, very specific I loved about it, but it was just such a heartwarming scene. Just seeing everybody there together. Right? I don't know. Like, like if you watch the movie with Days and then you see them back together like that, and now including this Remind DLC, I think, like, they did that scene much more justice. Yeah, I agree. So, um, although I would say I think Birth by Seed needed more justice, though, no, for some reason, Days, for some, they just shined among the other trios. Sorry, Destiny Islands trio, sorry, Birth by Seed trio, but nah, Days won that for me. Yeah, that's a dub. Now, again, we'll take in the loss that, um, you know, 
whatever the, the result is going to be the same there was a point of time where Xemnas had Sora and Kyrie captive. What? Oh. <laughs> Why? Yeah. I was just here like that would have been the perfect moment because if Kyrie was supposed to be captured, then they could have just done that. They could have just done that instead of just seeing again. We get the same result. Oh yeah, I'm just gonna teleport and then just grab her by the hand right there. I'm like, bitch. Bitch. <laughs> fuck you. I just had, I literally just had a fuck like cause again, like I thought cause I thought they were gonna change that up just like that though. But when I saw that shit again, I'm like, fuck all of you. I hate every single one of you in this goddamn except for the Days Trio. You you guys are okay. But the rest of you, I hate all of you. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Um But yeah, no, I, I I think that's all I really have to say about the Days Trio, but fuck, they were just so good. <sighs> That probably the biggest highlight of the entire DLC. Mm -hmm. In terms of story wise, I they, they they want it all for me. Yep. Now, um, we talked a lot about the story, but worry not, we're almost done. Um, Ooh. this part. Yeah. <laughs> I. <laughs> okay, you know what? I'll, I'll I'm I'm gonna open this up. Yeah, I want so... you to open this up. Alright. <clears throat> I gotta prepare my voice for this. <laughs> this is like the moment to prepare for. <laughs> it's Skullor and Kylo headass! <laughs> okay. When Xehanort, the, the new voice actor, said that that man hit a note. Oh. I couldn't I couldn't take that note seriously anymore. It went from sinister from base game to that man singing a musical. <laughs> Okay, but anyways, with that, I'm sorry. I, I just had to do that for that moment. But, yes, Scala and Kylo. <laughs> so, I knew for a fucking fact it was going to be explorable for story again. Because <laughs> I tried this out. If you go to base game, you can explore that world freely on your own, even after you complete the game. It's only for story. Which I, I, I called that out. I, I'm pretty sure I did. If I didn't, well, just know that I did anyways. So, anyways. Um... So the exploration, okay, um, this is supposed to be part of the gameplay segment, though, but I'm gonna bring this up right here real quick. Why the fuck was a Shadow Heartless, why, why was that four health bars? There was Dude, that was ridiculous. There was no reason to have that Heartless at four health bars. Get out the of, fuck out of here. Out of all of the side bosses that happened during the story, and I say side bosses meaning a non-organization fight, that was Bullshit. Why did that thing have so many health bars? And especially for those that played it on critical, that wasn't exactly free. That was kind of tricky. Again, all you, the only way you could do it is just... Uh, if you have the ultimate weapon, you can only cheat it that way. Just cheat it with oh, a shot Oh, that's exactly then, what I did. <laughs> yeah, same here, because I'm like, okay, I'm going to just like, do Man. two of those, and I'm going to use high refocuser, and then do it again. <laughs> Like, I'm down for a challenge, but I'm trying to get to the real fights of the video game, not these side bosses. Get out of here. I thought that was just so fucking stupid. And the worst part is that the Shadow was not even a boss. It was not even a fucking boss. It was what to made find it... Kyrie's heart. Yeah, find that stupid bitch's <laughs> incompetent heart. And, but no, so you, have to go, you have to fight, face off against this Shadow Heartless with four health bars. 
and these nobodies at our company, these the fucking heartless. I, I, that's what made it difficult because the the move sets for these nobodies that are were included into Remind were fucking bullshit. So yeah, I I got tired of that, but um, but yeah. So I I just had to bring that up. So I will say the world is so fucking pretty, but I will say the exploration was not enough for me. I'm just saying that just for right now. Anyways, um, the only thing I thought was interesting to me was that, unfortunately, the only thing I really learned about that world was basically, like, there was a point of time where you had to do this, uh, I guess you could say puzzle, where you had to, like, hit the three lights, the red, the green, and the blue, and you see the, um, there's this little picture that's, like, moving around, and it somehow tells the story of the creation of Scala at Kylum and how there's a connection to it with Daybreak Town. So I thought that was interesting. And I thought they were to keep going on with the momentum off of that, though. But again, apparently that's not important. Apparently Kyrie's heart is more important. But whatever. Fuck them. Um, but not much really changed after that. Um, and I just... As much as that I admire the world's aesthetics, I I didn't learn that much. Honestly, just this mini game and such. And oh yeah, and this cutscene between Sora and Xehanort. Uh, oh yeah, well, my fellow young one, of course I'd be here because I'm the one that hit all of Kyrie's heart pieces here. So yeah, that's why you're seeing me right now, even though I just, I didn't understand any of that shit that was happening. And I just, I was disappointed in a way, even with the exploration. I will say I'm actually not happy with the exploration part of the world. I didn't learn that much as I hoped it to be, even though I didn't have much expectations for the game, because I said this before, I have no hope for Remind. And yeah, like I said, it fulfilled up to that promise. So I gotta say though, like mm -hmm. personally for me, I know, I know you didn't like the Scala exploration or you didn't feel like nearly as satisfied, but I was going to counter that. Cause like personally for me, oh. I kind of figured we weren't going to be able to explore it nearly as much unless it was the story for DLC because it just kind of makes sense. But I got to say, hmm. man, like for me, it was just so pretty and I liked going around like there were parts um, that I found myself in where I was mostly detouring rather than doing the actual mission because I just loved the structure and architecture of Scala Ad Kylum. I give you and that. And I felt the need to go on the railings and like check it out. It just looked so cool and it was big and I felt like I could go anywhere where I wanted to, whereas I couldn't in the base game. Mm -hmm. And I was just satisfied that I got to look around and I didn't have to rely on like a, a bootleg, like out of bounds video for <laughs> like looking at Scala. Cause like, you right. know, people have done that. Of course. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know. I don't know. I just, um, I, I mean, yeah, I do give you that. The world is really pretty and it, it at least is a little bit more than what we got in the base game. But it's just that like, I just kind of want to know a little bit more about it, especially the fact that it was explorable just only for story, which again, yeah, it was only for the story for that moment though. But it's like, you know, this would have been an opportunity. And again, the only thing I got out of that was just Daybreak Town Connection, which it emphasized that a little bit more, but that's all really. But that's just me. So, um, but yeah, no, th there was not that much, uh, really after that, except for, I thought this part was cool. Okay. So 
because again, what ha what happens after the exploration is not really that much though. But we do get to see what the Keyblade wielders were doing outside oh, of Kingdom Hearts. Are you Hearts. talking about the Keyblade wielders versus adversary? Fight? Yes, we're yes, yes, we're dude, talking about that. It was okay. so good. Uh, you know what? You, you go on for this one. Okay, so we're, just to be clear, we're talking about the part where they're like in the sky and there's those keyholes in there, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Man, that was cool. So, like, I've always, like, this is, like, a question I've always had for myself. I've always wondered, like, what it's like on the other end while Sora was fighting Xehanort in Skullad Kylum. Because, like, they never touched up on that before. And so, like, seeing the wielders together, like, working together and fighting off the adversaries was so cool. And the way it was done was just incredible. Honestly... I, um, cause this is, um, I'm glad that they did this. I didn't really think about that. Um, but I'm glad that they added this cause I actually liked this part a lot. Um, but cause I was just here thinking, cause after I played Kingdom Hearts 3, the base game of it, I was like, wait a minute. So what were the Keyblade Wielders doing outside? Like, were they just holding? They were just like, oh, so, um, so Sora saved you, right? I just thought it was going to be like that though. But no, they actually had an all out bat. I feel like. The battle with the adversaries was much better than base game Kingdom Hearts 3 Keyblade Graveyard War. Yeah. So, and that's a strong statement for me on that one because, again, I don't consider that a war. I just thought it was a playground. But the Keyblade Wilderness versus the adversaries, that felt like an actual war to me. So, um, and I'm not gonna lie, I actually like the cute um, interactions that they had with one another as they were fighting them and such, especially Aqua giving that cold treatment to Axel. I was like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, like, Don't talk the little side fight. tidbits and comments were so cute. It, it was really cute. I'm like, oh my god, they, ooh, okay. I'm glad, like, it was not going to just be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, nah, they were supplementary, like, they were complementing their skills and their attacks together and stuff like that. And, like, now nah, we gotta kick ass here. And I was like, wow, that was badassery right there. You have... All these other Keyblade Warriors are on the offense while you have Mickey, Aqua, and Shion as a defense. I was like, okay, that I think that's like the perfect fucking setup. Oh yeah. We shout out to Reflugga coming back. I missed Oh that. yes. Dude, <laughs> that was so cool. I missed that ability so much. And seeing that, I'm like, yes, and it's so big. I'm like, yo, okay, that was actually cool. I just love switching between the characters. Like it, it didn't really feel like gameplay to me, but rather like a really dope cutscene that was interactive. Yeah, that I, I agree with that. You know what? I think that's something that we should label it as as like, you know, an interactive cutscene that way. That was really cool. Yeah, because like it wasn't free roaming because like normally when you're doing a fight in that game, it's basically like free roaming around while also trying to fight the boss. But like. In that cutscene in particular, there was dialogue, there were character switches, there were also, like, interactive moments, there were um, reaction commands. Like, it just felt like one big cutscene, and it was so fun to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that actually felt really nice, and, um, you know... I, again, the, the team attacks with Terra and Riku and such, and then the, uh, the finally more interaction with Roxas and Ventist... <laughs> I, I thought yes. it was just too funny. I, th I I thought it was so stupid that they only looked at each other and not said anything. I'm just glad they actually talked to each other. Um, but, yeah, no, I thought that that was nice. Um, but after that, um, I didn't think we'd see this. I mean, I was, I mean, like, before, I, even before the trailer came out, 
I thought that this was weird to me, though. But with the trailer coming out, we saw the battle between Xehanort and Sora and Kyrie. So yeah. I will say, yeah, it's cute and all. And Kyrie's gameplay was actually pretty decent. Not dis- I was worried because when I saw the trailer, it looked floaty as fuck. And yeah, it was fun. It was actually fun. Like that girl actually kicked out. She even had a fucking barrier for fuck's sakes. <laughs> Bro, her combo, like when I first did her complete combo, I was like, ooh, Kyrie being useful. Let's go. She actually knows how to move. Jesus Christ. She was schmoving. Mm hmm. So I don't know. Like, honestly, like if, if you are not picking Kyrie for this one, I, <laughs> don't I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know what to tell you because Sora was not. Well, I mean, again, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, though. But Kyrie for that part. Honestly, like, if you're going to sit here and tell me you chose Sora rather than playing then the new characters of Roxas and Kyrie, if you didn't, if you chose uh, Sora over Riku for one of the Keyblade Graveyard, okay, then I'm going to give you a pass on that one. But Roxas' gameplay was so good. Kyrie's gameplay was very good. And the interactive cutscene gameplay that we spoke about earlier. So if you slept on that... You you missed out on something great. <laughs> yeah. So I mean at least that's just me on a, on that way. And uh oh yeah, her Sherlock was nice too. Oh so, yeah, it was. It was very cool. It it had a really unique design too. So I was like, okay, alright, that's cute. Um and yeah. then of course their power of light and love with their stupid, beautiful, angelic wings. Oh my god. I'm sorry. I just that was so like man, that was adorable. When I saw that, I was like, wow, that's very cute. Yeah, so I'm glad that they actually did more of that this time. And honestly, I feel like the final battle should have been Sora, Kyrie versus Xehanort because you had the the Trinity trio, then you had Sora and Riku for Kingdom Hearts two, and then you have Kingdom Hearts three. It was the trio again, though. But I feel like I feel like this will be a better written off rewritten of Sora and Kyrie versus Xehanort. It felt more fitting that way, at least in my opinion. Yeah. So, um, and then after that, well, yep, that's it. That's literally, like, the rewritten of how Sora disappeared. Whoa. Yeah, I can't really put, like, a number on the story, but, I mean, it was enjoyable. Like I said, there were some holes. There were things that should have been in the base game, but there were also things that, like, shouldn't have been in there to begin with. And then there was some good stuff, too, especially mm-hmm. the gameplay. Yeah, and, you know, again, um, oh, yeah, of course, there was the one-year-later time skip. We the have the final game content. Mm-hmm. We had the Final Fantasy characters and the Fairy Godmother for one cutscene. And I and I called this a long time ago, and I knew Radiant Garden was not going to be explorable. Sad face. Yeah. Uh, but you know, um, I'm not going to lie. The interaction between Riku and Terra was really weird. The forced laugh, <laughs> and um, <laughs> oh god, that was just so stupid. That was so awkward. <laughs> I, I was like, how how do the voice actors do this? I was like, how do you sit there in the booth and go, ha, 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 seriously, like, <laughs> bro. <laughs> and I'm surprised Aqua had the balls to go back to the realm of darkness. With- <laughs> I-, I was just I here know. like, you gotta go back? Like, I would not, I want to stay home. I would not like, want to go she back went from there. The- she was like, oh, I'm so traumatized. I was down there for 10 years, turned evil, and then I cried when I came back to life. Anyways, I'm gonna go back. See you guys later. <laughs> I mean, like, yes, you could argue that she went back with friends, though, but I'm just like, Shut up, bitch. Stop right. it. And Stop. I mean, technically, she had Mickey down there. That's another friend. Exactly. And I'm just, and you're going to give up at the Keyblade Graveyard. Get out of here, Aqua. It's like, homie, it, it won't make a difference. That place is going to traumatize you for life. Don't oh, my God. 
So we're all, we're almost there. Um, but the final note that I'm going to make for the Remind story, because we talked a lot about that, but this part, I, I, I'm going to say this the right highlight. now. I, I feel like Crunch is going to take over this part, and if he does, I don't blame him. But um, <laughs> this part specifically, I just want to talk about this real quick. The Final Fantasy characters, right? Oh, thank God. <sighs> and it they felt have remastered nice. bottles. It, it felt nice that they came back. However, I just, I, again, I, I honestly, I'm going to say this right now. Recording this as we speak, I didn't think I'd talk a lot about this aspect of the game, but I'm talking about the voice acting so much. <laughs> I think I've been hanging around with any. It's a little. Along. It's a little weak. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, okay. I don't. I know for a fact they recasted Aerith. I don't think. I think they recasted Leon, but some someone told me that uh, that we don't have the official cast list for the remind. So I can't really say anything until I actually see proof of it. But Aerith was recasted, Yuffie was recasted, and I think Sid was recasted. But until like I actually see the official list, I can't really confirm anything. But why didn't they get Aerith from remake? Why? Yeah. Why did why? they not? Do that? Why? That that, that there's they're supposed to advertise their games and. Ah, my God! They got a. She was just like, oh, yeah, maybe he'll be back. Like that bitch did not sound like that in Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, she was just in the background, like, yeah, Lamau, XD Rafflecopter, like, lol. I'm just like, what are you here for? And Yuffie sounded like your typical anime tsundere girl. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Like that. That's what I mean by weak. Is like not that the voice acting itself was weak, but like the lines they were given were just so like strange it was really strange and the way of their delivery came off very strange to me even leon too he felt a little not too out of character but something just fell off with him and then his voice did not help the case either yeah so i don't know i i just really thought that he just looked socially awkward in that way the again the only one that actually made it up for me was sid <laughs> yeah so, sid, sid sid was good sid was good sid was Genuinely fine. He sound. I think he sounded like how he originally did before. Um, after for looking at comparison and such, though. But if this was a new voice actor, he he did well. Um, and he got tired of Yuffie shit. I and then plus I I don't blame him. I would be too after hearing that anime girl head ass. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, that wraps up for the remind part. Oh, dude. Okay. I've been wanting to talk about this so desperately. We're roughly like what? An hour, almost an hour 27 into this podcast. Mm -hmm. Dude. Go ahead. The fights. I'm about to pop off. Okay. I'm not going to talk about like every single fight because I myself haven't really had the time to sit through every single fight, but I've so far beaten like five. So on my end, I've beaten Dark Riku, Terranor. Um, who was the first one? Young Xehanort, and there's one more I'm missing. Oh, Vanitas. And then right now I'm kind of like on Psyx. Now, Edo's beaten, I think, about everyone up to Ansem, and he just needs like, yeah, what was it? You just need like Shion and Young and um, Xehanort left? Yep, that's correct. Okay. So, the fights are really cool, because if you compare it to the base game, it, like, the group fights were fun and all, but, like, it was a little weak. Like, they weren't really that hard, and the the way they were designed in the base game, 
was kind of boring. Like, their dams were whatever, and their moves were predictable, and there wasn't really much of a challenge um, surrounding those fights. And the only secret boss we had was... Oh, man, I forgot his name. Um, something Inferno? Dark Inferno? Oh, yeah, Dark Inferno. Yeah, Dark Inferno. And now that we have the Data Org fights, they have new revamped movesets, some of which are the same, just a little more extreme. Like, specifically, I want to talk about Dark Riku the most, because this is one of the earlier fights that you get. Um, it, like, let's say the way I'm doing it right now is I'm going from 13 to 1, and I think a lot of people will do it at random, but that's like one of the first fights that people try to do too, because in the game, in the base game, Dark Riku wasn't really that hard. He had a couple of challenging moves, but there wasn't really anything insanely challenging about him. But, <laughs> but in the data fights, he is a beast. He is just, like, I actually really like this fight. It's, I think it's kind of a, um, I'm, in, I'm sort of in the minority here because Dark Riku is a very tough fight. It's because of his, fight. like, yeah, like, his full-blown aggression is hard for some people to deal with. And on top of that, like, some of his moves are kind of BS. And you do need to adapt to that fight, because you need to know when he's going to throw out his... I call them red attacks, which are attacks that you can't block, or unblockables. So you need to time and understand when he's going to throw that out, and then when you can block and punish. But, once again, just like they did in 2... The fights, they made it so that you don't mash through. Like, you really do need to understand those fights, especially on critical mode. And they're yeah. just so fun to do. And the remastered OST oh for some God. of those, like, the dilemmas, like, the 13th Dilemma and, like, all the other songs for the um, organization fights being remastered, especially Cavern of Remembrance, oh are beggars. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I gotta cut in at this part real, real quick. Okay. Oh, yeah, no, I, I cut so, it there for now. No, 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 you're, you're good, you're good. Uh, that, that, yeah. it's, it's perfect. Okay, so, <coughs> all right. So, um, speaking of soundtrack, I just want to say this real quick. Um, oh, I know what you're going to say. So, uh, The 13th Dilemma, I just want to say, I, I posted that out on Twitter, but if you haven't looked at that, I just want to say that that speaks out so much of my edge. And it's probably like, I would never expect the 13th Dilemma to have an electric guitar. So, uh, Yoko, in one in a million chance you are listening to this podcast, bless you and your music cast and everything about your music. You need to have your God own genre, you. please. I, I think there should be a statue of you. You actually like just made music. Music! Like, that song specifically... I, besides Yoko's music, another video game soundtrack that I love so much is Blaze Blue. Blaze Blue has this weird, rocky tune that I love about it so much, and it gave me Blaze Blue vibes out of that. And I'm just like, this feels like a fucking fighting game. That song in particular, I'm like, yes, I am. I'm about to kick. I'm about to kick Sykes's ass. Now I'm sorry. Like, even though like I lost so many times against that fight. I'm like, nah, I'm ready to fucking kick ass again. I'm just, sorry, I just had to pop up at that part, though. But, um, yeah. but it's like, I don't understand how small soundtracks that were made for Remind, that were not in base game, it beats the base game entirely. 
Oh, absolutely. Like, the base game OST does not compare to that of the Remind OST, like, DLC. It, it was so fucking beautiful. And oh, it's Lord so of the good. Castle, oh my god. That felt more sinister. I was like, yo, Marluxia, calm down. And speaking of that, I'm about to flip-flop real quick. Back to the Limit Cup episode data fights. Marluxia my, right now is my top three. My top three right now is Marluxia, Xemnas, and Zigbar. Those are my top three. Marluxia, I feel like that was the one that had like the most fun to learn fights and it's not just about that like again what the premises of all the data fights in this game it's safe to say that like they took it to a whole new other level than how they did in 2fm like yeah. some of the fights are better than 2fm by far and oh, it's like it's it's like a huge challenge and like you know there's some fights where i kind of just want to like but most like but but it's just that they have at least some type of consistency to it where i'm like i'm not really raging as much because i'm losing it's like i get to learn more of their patterns and their mix-ups and such even again there are a couple data fights i will say they're kind of in question of that <laughs> terranor and lark scene um and their dms i thought that was kind of a little bit stupid sykes definitely is applied to this um with their base movesets and such, I feel like that they had a really, really strong foothold and they lived up to that. And honestly, I'm gonna say this right now. I have a hard time believing Osaka designed these fights. I don't believe that they did. I know, it's like completely different human beings. Because they did design the 0.2 secret boss fight, which I was worried about Kimarsui's gameplay. And with that, the way of how they designed uh, Zodiac Phantom Aqua, I'm like, oh, so it's gonna be good like this then. Nope, base game was just shit. But with the data fights, I'm like, they don't even rival. Rival in the slightest against Zodiac Phantom Aqua. And I'm just they're here so like, good. they're just so good. And I saw in the interview, there were 13 questions that Nomura was like, oh yeah, we developed two new teams for the Kingdom Hearts franchise and such. And I'm like, I feel like one of the new teams did it. I don't believe Osaka did it. Nope. Mm -mm. If you are going to sit here and tell me Osaka did this, no, show me the Carfax right now. No way. Right. I don't believe you for a fucking second because if that, if they did this for fucking Remind, why wasn't it like this in the other boss fights? Why was it so, because again, like, I love the, um, going back to Crunch's point, um, the team attacks with the organization members and such, I, trust me, I love the concept for it. But because that they lacked a complete moveset, it's like, they were like the most disappointing part of the game because they didn't have much of a fight at all. And the one who just basically took that was Xehanort. But in this, this Remind DLC, I will say this is the only part that where this game would make me eat my words that I actually have a good time playing Kingdom Hearts 3. Because I couldn't at all in the slightest one way in another. But playing these data fights, I'm like... I, I, I'm gonna retry these fights again after I'm, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm gonna go back to it just because... I get the satisfaction of beating the crap out of these characters. And speaking of that, what made it even better to complement that is the new abilities that they give out for free with the new patch. Oh, uh, yeah. There are some... I'm gonna say this right now. I, 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 have, I have the boldness to say this. If you're gonna sit here and tell me that there is no difference between Magic Flash and Last Charge... 
I'm assuming you hit, I'm assuming you hit Kingdom Hearts 2. I'm just gonna I say that right now. I literally popped off mm -hmm. when I saw that ability. I was like, is this Osaka? Mm -hmm. Who is doing this? All these new abilities, they actually like feel like linear this time. It like again, like they had the flashy effect, but it's like it's still nice and satisfying, and it's like, you know, you're actually locked onto the opponent rather than just flipping floppy around everywhere with Sora. Yeah. Dude, he just goes ham. He went from, like... Like, the problem with the base game for me was... I felt like the abilities still made me feel very, like, static and, like... I don't know. I just didn't feel like I was moving with Sora. Like I did in 2. But in these new abilities... They only added, like, what? Like, 10 new abilities? Somewhere around there? I'm not sure. But, like... The ones that I equipped... I... It feels so good. Definitely. And then on top of that, if you equip Oathkeeper and Oblivion Keyblades, oh, top three, I'm gonna say this right now, they're my top three Keyblades. They are the best, some of the best Keyblades in the game. They are way too good. And I'm not even saying like overpowered in a way, cause they're not, like no, there's no Keyblade except for Ultima that's overpowered. It's just, oh, the combo it, is so it's satisfying. It's like balance and like, there's this part, um, I'm glad somebody pointed this out though, but there's this part when he goes into double form, and it's, it's surprising that he's wields two keyblades at this point. But, when he goes into that double form, there's this part where like, you see like, these swarm of lights like surrounding Sora with that sphere effect, I'm like, oh my god, I feel that power, like that actually felt so satisfying, and it's not floaty either. So, they actually made this feel like linear, complementary with Kingdom Hearts 2, and again, like, we're not just saying that because we're like, you know, Kingdom, like, again, as people would label this if anybody were to say anything about Kingdom Hearts 2, Kingdom Hearts 2 FM Elitist. No. What we wanted from the start was that they take a step forward. Like, evolve from it. Not just like, you know, be like, yeah, because Kingdom Hearts 2 has satisfying gameplay. While that is indeed true to a fact that we're not saying that we want a recopy and paste. We wanted this to have an involvement and it aged beautifully, even though I say it's late. They did it beautifully this time, even though they I don't really believe it. I don't believe it was Osaka. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> like, I don't know, man. Like, uh, so the thing about me was like when we were getting the trailers for Remind, the first one I was like, whatever, new DLC, pretty hype, whatever. Second one and third, they were showing us like these boss fights, and then that was like the hint, and I think the confirmation that we were getting in like a organization data fights again. Yeah. God, they are so good. Like, I wanted to also say this, like, 2 has fights that were good and then boring or mm -hmm. bad. Yeah. And in this game, like, some of them, they either improved or they made worse. Like, Syx is a good example because in 2, I really enjoyed his fight. But in this game, I really, like, I don't dislike or immensely hate it. But it's, it's, it's just really arc. annoying. Yeah. And it's... It's not nearly as enjoyable, and it's easy to choke, which um, I choke easily when I'm under pressure. So, like, when I'm close to beating Syx, he'd be doing some bullshit that gets me caught off guard or changing mm -hmm. the timings of his attacks. And I'm just like, well, there it goes. Shout but out like, to all the players that could actually do no damage fights with these, because I don't know how you all do it. I, can't. I don't know either. Mm -hmm. Like, I could kind of understand it, too, because there's, like, a set... You know, with two, um, the other thing I was going to mention, it was like in two, especially with crit level one fights, I, I always tend to notice that 
there's like one specific strategy that people use. Like, I don't think I see a lot of um, variety and different combinations of attacks in two. Like, yeah, I see some every now and then, but like, especially when you're doing like speed runs or trying to beat it on level one, there's yeah. always going to be a similar strat that everyone uses. But in this game so far, and maybe it's because it's new, so people are trying to figure it out, and there's different ways to beat it for now. Mm. Like, all the different variations and um, ways that people beat it, like I've seen clips on Twitter, I've seen especially BizKit streams, like those are godlike by the way. Definitely. Um, oh, it's so fun to watch. Like just watching people just completely body some of these organization members, it's really fun. And speaking of that, uh, I'm going to throw this kind of self-plug in there. I think Crunch might do it at this point, too, if he wants to, if he plans on this or not, though. But um, as you heard before, uh, I only completed up to Ansem, and I'm going to complete the Ansem fight off stream on my Twitch channel. But in time, I'm going to play around. Like, once I beat that, I'm going to play around with Xehanort and Shion. And if there are fights that I feel like I would do on stream... Look out for that, though, but I will say what I do promise is that I am going to be streaming my experiences facing off against Yozora. So, I'll yeah, be doing that on my... That yeah, so I will do that on my Twitch channel and stuff like that, and, um, well, hopefully you guys look forward to that, because it's going to be one hell of an experience. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably just going to do it on my own time, because I don't really think I have the time to, like, dedicate a stream for that, but, oof, it's mm -hmm. going to be sick. It it's going to be sick. Now, this last part for the segment, uh, gameplay, um, I didn't touch upon this, but I have a clear understanding of what this does already, especially for talking into the Storm Clansman Discord server, such as to what's been going on around with it and seeing gameplay clips of that. Um, I think this was a good thing that they included this, uh, easy codes and pro codes. So, um, what they are, essentially, is that these are certain codes to... Uh, you can alter the gameplay experience into a more challenging way or a more funner and easier way if you just want to chill and just do some stupid giggle funny haha shit just because you can. So, um, with that being said, um, you could actually, and if you wanted to, because they, they have the code for this in the easy code side, you could go through the entire game of Kingdom Hearts 3 one shotting all the enemies and boss fights. I'm not joking. You can. You yeah, you can literally can. You actually can do that. And the best part is that because of they included this, because there are some people that have not ever completed a critical save file. So if you want to get the Oblivion Keyblade, because you do get it, you need to obtain a proof, and then you have to give it to the Moogle shop to get that Keyblade. So what you could do is you could go on your critical file, and this is not going to affect your chances of getting it in any way, shape, or form. You, you can equip the easy code on, to one-shotting the enemies and then after that you get the proof and you don't have to worry about anything else and you can just go on with your day and then all you have to do is just use the camera mode to uh, take a photo with all the lucky emblems and then you have your Oath Keeper so in average time you won't have to go through that much hell because it was a very flawed experience that time so now it's at least a smoother experience so then you can enjoy Remind to the way that you see fit so yeah that's the purpose of easy codes, and I think it's a I think that's a really nice feature that they put in. Now pro codes. They actually give you they grant you achievements if you were to complete them during through anything that you um they tell you like you know you could equip them on and then you could um go through as you see fit. Now, um 
the pro codes are the part of the challenging parts of the game if you want to um purposely not use any items or you can't use Securaga, you they go in depth as to how you can alter your gameplay experience so and i'm gonna say this right now um there has been and I, I cannot believe this but i'm going to give a quick shout out to this person somebody was able to do a level one crit battle against Yazora and no and with all pro codes on no damage shout out to fucking Kiwi that she was able to fucking do that I don't Dude, know how that was hype to watch how the fuck with all those pro codes and all those limitations that you have I I, I can't I, I can't fathom I what yeah <laughs> And so, for those that want to know, Kiwi is Biscuit's girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they both have played Kingdom Hearts together. Sometimes she'll come on stream every now and then, but yeah. They, I saw her complete that, and I was like, wow, that was insane. I'm going to be linking her Twitter onto the show page, uh, so be sure to check her out and such, though. But I just want to give a quick shout-out to her that she was able to do that, though. But I'm just saying that as an example, it's that... This is like, if you're up for the challenge, like, and to be such a beast that way, there's your way of getting your achievement. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and there's this last part that I'm actually going to talk about, um, just a little bit quick, and then we can, uh, get to this part. They included data greeting, and I'm going to say this right now, I think that's one of the <laughs> most cutest and best fucking expand dlc shit that they have ever added to kingdom hearts i have so much fucking if you have not been following up with my twitter i have so much fucking fun taking pictures and making characters do stupid shit or make cutscenes like or not like make characters look like they're in cutscenes even though they're not in cutscene form and yes i'm going to admit there's been a lot of speculation about this i did cheat with photoshop i'm gonna say it bluntly out there so now you know the truth anywho <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I've been doing that so much, and there are actually people on Twitter that believe that, like, wait, is this actually part of Rebound? I'm like, nah, I'm just fucking pulling your leg. <laughs> but, I don't know, I just love that part of the game so much, and I think that's the only, like, also another reason why I keep going back to Kingdom Hearts 3, is because that I just wanted to, like, do this crazy, like, character poses and such, and, like, going with all these sceneries and such, so, it's really cute, and it's a nice, very experience. I might, I actually could come up with some design ideas and maybe some edits to do with that, so, um, not promising that, though, but if I have the time, look forward to that in the future. So, okay, now we can talk about our, um, interesting character, Yazora. Ooh, shout out to Dillard Sprouse, by the way. So, yes, fucking Dillard Sprouse. Oh my god, that performance was so fucking good. He, great Dude, performance. I didn't even recognize perfect. him. He, right? It he, fit the character perfectly. Like, I was trying to imagine, like, a Final Fantasy slash Kingdom Hearts kind of voice actor for that. I mean, I know it's technically kind of like the same thing since there are Final Fantasy reps in the game. But, oh, it was so good. And so you know, good. he revealed he revealed that he like he was playing Kingdom Hearts at such a young age. And I'm like, wait a minute. You are playing that game during your times at Sweet Life and Zack and Cody. Stop. Stop. And yeah, I'm, you know what's a fun fact? He's him and his brother would play Pokemon like all the time, and they were on a Pokemon Heart Gold Soul Silver commercial. 
I, and I I didn't know about that and I I didn't believe it. So when I saw that tweet, I'm like, oh yeah, like this is one of my like my favorite franchises that I played when I was a kid. I was like, what? Why was there not advertisements and the Sweet Life of Zack and Cody? What the fuck? What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but and just seeing that his dream was fulfilled, that he wanted to play as an edgy esque character into this world, I'm like, you fucking. You, you got your dream. You got it, pal. Oh, my God. Just, I, I, I love you, Dylan Sparrows. Ah! <laughs> so, Dude, I'm such a huge fan of him. Right? Like, after that, I was like, oh, my God. I regret not ever following you on Twitter. I fixed that as soon as I learned about that. So, <laughs> I, but, yeah, we just had to give him that quick shout-out for him as well. So, um, and I guess we suppose that we could speculate about Mr. Mosby coming to Kingdom Hearts, but that's another discussion for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, um, Zoro, no running in my lobby. No running in the lobby. So, um, unfortunately, as you guys have heard already, we have not played the fight at all. Uh, again, you'll probably hear about it through my Twitch channel because I- I'm going to be talking about it as I fight off against him and hopefully complete that. Uh, and uh, for Crunch, I don't know, Twitter or something, you'll, you'll hear it from him. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, but we've already seen bits and pieces of this. What we're going to talk a little bit more about is basically this whole connection between him and Sora. Um, and apparently they added two endings for this as well, which obviously, like, we already know which one's the true ending. It's the one if you beat Zora, but if you don't, then, oh yeah, Sora just freezes to death and then he's just like, yeah, I'll save you. Even though I just beat Yeah, that threw me off. <laughs> I don't, there's a lot of questions and I will say that, like, it is interesting. It's very interesting as to, like, what is this supposed to be the setup? I was like, wait a minute. Why are you using your, uh, Sora's name and such? Who the fuck are actually are you? Yeah, so, and why does he want to quote-unquote save him while this man is trying to beat his ass? Right? So, now, there's a... I'm going to talk about this. There's a lot of speculation that this is going to make a return in some way. Maybe this is supposed to be its own standalone game, but it... I will say if that happens, this might be hard because even though we have Final Fantasy cameos, if this is tied into Kingdom Hearts in a way, then this is going to be really hard to juggle with, especially if it's really tied down canically wise And everyone is believing that this is a way to revive Versus 13. Ah. Uh, Which, yeah. I would not mind that. I think, because again, even though, again, straight up, you can't sit here and tell me they're not 15 characters. I'm sorry. They're definitely Final Fantasy 15 characters, but in, in a different form. Sorry. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but I do believe that, like, this will be a way to enter into that, though. But I will say that if that's going to be the case, they have to be really careful for this, of how they do this in their own world, of how we're going to open up the advertising for Final Fantasy 13, or 13 Versus. But if that's not the case, then I think this... The story for Kingdom Hearts 4 or whatever the title is going to be called. Maybe a long-ass title called Kingdom Hearts 0.2 Perfect A Fragmentary Passage if they're going to go that long again. Um, oh my god, I just ran out of breath just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, if they go into that route, hopefully, like, I will say that it has a cure. Like, it did spark a curiosity of me, though. But, however, I'm, I'm still not convinced. I'm still not convinced enough because I'm still a little bit not happy about the unanswered questions that... Kingdom Hearts 3, and even Remind Included has left me off, though. But I will say that the gameplay, in a way, makes up for it. Not all of it, but in some way for its shape or form. Yeah. So, um, 
we'll just have to see uh, where the direction of Yazora, and of obviously we're going to see him more, and hopefully more learn more about the cast later for that in the future. Maybe this year, who knows? Yeah, we'll have to see. It's kind of unpredictable, mm-hmm. you know, with Square. Um, but the one thing I am going to say is that um, I'm gonna, I, I, I'll talk about this when I do my Twitch streams, but a lot of people are making the claim that Yozora is one of the best boss fights in the franchise's history, even better than Lingering Will, and that's a bold statement. That is a very bold statement, but I could agree with it too, possibly. I could agree with I mean, I've always seen it though, but as for experience, I'll have to see it for my own, because I think I think it's different than just simply watching than actually experiencing it. Um, so I am going to see about that though, but I will say that that man has some crazy cosmetic fucking battle moves that I think are just simply insane. So I very lo- much look forward to that later. Yeah, me too. So, um, other than that, that's really all I have to say about the whole Yazora thing. How about you? Yeah, that's basically the same thing. I, like I said, I haven't really gotten through all of the data orc fights just because of time constraints and I'm trying to balance school as well. But what I can tell from, like, some of the footage I've watched because I didn't want to spoil the entire boss fight and I just watched the cutscenes, that Mm. fight is pretty dope. I don't know if um, you guys listening at home have watched this or um, have played the fight. But, oh, it, it looks incredible. Some of the patterns are pretty dope. Definitely. So, but, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, so now I, I I said this at the beginning of the podcast, but now I'm going to say this in the podcast. Uh, now, I guess we could say our verdict on this. Mm-hmm. Now for me. Again, the only thing that made for me was the gameplay. However, I will say this strongly as of right now, I don't think it's worth that $30. Now, before anybody comes at me, Edo, how in the fuck did you play Remind? You're such a hypocrite. Now, hold your tongue real quick. (laughs) Shout out to Chris Chiquito because he was the one who donated uh, the Remind DLC expansion to me. So I only did that out of kindness to play this game. So, even though I wasn't a fan of it, I thought it's like, okay, well, you know what? If I'm receiving this from a loyal um, follower of mine, I might as well finish it the way of how I started uh, for the Kingdom Hearts 3 journey. So, I will say for me, it's not worth that $30, though. But, you do... I feel like the content in it that, again, the gameplay part is only satisfying to me. But, I just don't... Again, this felt more worth as to $20, in my opinion. But... Yeah, no, I. it's just that what I said that, in my statement, I'm going to reveal this again. Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind is the band-aid of base Kingdom Hearts 3. At yep. least that's how I feel about that. And I guess if you want a t- like an actual proper score of me for Remind, 6 out of 10 for me. Yeah, I guess I'll follow up. Um, so for me, like, I think I've expressed it pretty clearly talking about Remind predictions and then the Remind verdict. Um, well, what we talked about before, like reviewing the story. The story is just kind of messy right now. And I think a lot of people can agree with me on that. There are parts of the story I like and parts that I don't like that I've expressed throughout this podcast. But in terms of the gameplay, I am beyond impressed. I didn't expect some things to get fixed or 
um, the movement to feel better or the data fights to actually be fun. Like I was taken by surprise and I'm glad that my ex- expectations were exceeded. Even if I had high expectations for Osaka, they were exceeded regardless. Like this is a very well made, um, fixed balanced gameplay game. And I couldn't be more happier with it. But story still kind of sucks. So if I had to put a number on it, I guess I'd give it like a 7 out of 10. But that gameplay, though. Uh, With that being said, we just want this for you guys to keep in mind. Like, it's fine to set expectations for this, for the Remind DLC. What you are specifically looking for, it's up to really you as to what you deem worthy in that price to give your money to the developers of uh, for Kingdom Hearts 3, Square Enix, and stuff like that to what you're specifically seeking for if you're going to be in story-wise. I wouldn't say too much about it. Again, this this is all really up to you as to how you viewed your experience to it, though. Um, we shared our own experiences and opened up with uh, certain facts that maybe some people don't have the game and such or the Remind DLC. This is to what we can tell you. But right. ultimately, remember at the end of the day, what always matters is how you actually feel to how you go through these fights, how you went through the story and stuff like that, the soundtrack. This is up to you for you to decide. Right. And like just to add on to that too... Um... You're really just buying the DLC for what you prefer. Um, if you're someone who prefers the story over the gameplay, like you're not a big fan of the gameplay, you just kind of played it to see what's up with the story, just look up the cutscenes on YouTube. It's not worth spending $30 for content that you don't really want besides the story because there's not a lot that's provided. There's only about like two to three hours worth of cutscenes and a lot of it's kind of filler or just pointless stuff. But if you want it for gameplay, by all means, please get it. Because I do think the gameplay is truly worth the price. Just the story kind of decreased that value a little bit. But, you know, like I said, just depends what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, yep. So, alrighty, everybody. That is all for this podcast episode. If you are listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave out a five-star rating if you enjoyed the podcast. Hit up the StormConnect Twitter at StormConnectEN or other platforms this podcast is on for feedback on the show and such. This is Eno Ninja. And this is Crunch. And we will see you guys next Wednesday. Yep. Thanks, guys. <laughs>